I actually remember growing up that everything seemed uh, really easy, maybe too easy. My world was pretty simple, right? The good guys were easy to find. Superman was a simple hero who could put on glasses and become incognito. Batman was exactly the person that Gotham needed, and the Joker was just a villain and not a complicated antagonist. When you played cops and robbers, it was clear to know who the bad guy was. In the story, the world seemed clear. The rules seemed simple, and they made sense. But now it seems like everything is so much more complicated. Heroes are complicated by their love of power and popularity. There's a show on Amazon Prime now that tells that exact story. Superheroes who've been corrupted by the power afforded to them without any brackets for that power. Villains uh, like the Joker have complicated backstories that make you sympathetic to who they become. In the real world, we're caught in a war that's been tangling and t together for 18 years, and it seems to blur the line every day between a friendly civilian and an outright enemy. Even in our daily lives here, everything seems to be getting more and more complicated, right? The rule is you should always wear sunscreen because it'll prevent skin cancer. But did you know that if you put sunscreen on, it also contributes to the death of coral reefs around the world? It's one of the most significant factors. If you buy a hybrid or an electric car, you'll be able to escape the power of the oil industry with fuel consumption. But we found that if you buy a new car built for you, it'll actually have the same negative impact on the environment, regardless of whether or not it is electric. It feels like every single thing that we do has the potential to be a huge decision with cascading results. Is a ride share with Uber worth the savings if it also means that you're supporting an agency that doesn't pay its drivers well? Is a plant-based diet feasible without relying on those vegetables being shipped across the country or around the world? Making decisions effectively and efficiently is really hard to do, and it seems to have gotten harder. I think it's really hard to know what the right thing to do is most of the time, and if you've ever watched The Good Place, which is one of my favorite comedies on NBC, that you know that that's something they illustrate and point, poke fun at all the time. We have competing beliefs swirling around in our heads so frequently that it is very difficult to know the best possible thing for us to do. Everything, every decision, every conviction, every devotion is so much more complicated now than it was for me growing up. And this is exactly the world that Joseph was stepping into himself. For Joseph, there was a clear system for marriages when Jesus was being born. A couple would get engaged, and usually that engagement would start with the work of a matchmaker or parents deciding that their children should be married. And then they would enter into a year-long engagement period. After that year, that's when the marriage would be official, and they would have the legal rights of a married couple. 
What sort of complicates things, though, is that during the engagement period, they would still be considered husband and wife. And this blew my mind the first time I read the Gospel of Matthew, because it doesn't make sense in our context. First time I read this chapter in Matthew's Gospel, I was thoroughly confused because Joseph is listed as Mary's husband, but also as <laughs> that they're engaged. But also, after saying they were engaged, says that Joseph was planning to divorce Mary. It's confusing, more than a little confusing. But if you take a step back and look at Palestinian context in the first century, that engagement period makes much more sense. It was an official year-long period. The dowry would have already been exchanged, the new home would be under construction, and the couple would have been known already as husband and wife. They just wouldn't have had the legal rights as a married couple. And so because of that, because they would have been considered a married couple in training, sort of, there were rules for that engagement period. And there were rules for how to divorce within that engagement period. There were rules to follow if your betrothed, your fiancé, was unfaithful. Most of those rules applied to power that the husband had. If your wife-to-be got pregnant by another man, the husband, by law, could stone them to death, both the man and the woman who were a part of that. So Joseph, who's described as a righteous man, already he doesn't follow that law to its harshest letter. So there are other rules that he does follow he, follow, he decides to follow the instruction outlined for how to divorce his bride, justifiably, because it looks like Mary has committed adultery and gotten pregnant outside of their relationship. But then an angel comes and muddies up the water again. God is asking for Joseph to go through with the marriage anyway, which is against what the rules say. The rules say, if your wife gets pregnant by someone else, kill her or divorce her. But a new revelation outside of the holy text of scripture asks Joseph to do something completely different. To marry Mary and raise up her child as his own. And suddenly for Joseph, life is much more complicated than it had been. See, faithfulness is much broader than just adherence to rules and customs. Faithfulness means stepping out with confidence and uncertainty towards love. Love is at the heart of everything that God does. Love is what God asks of us. Love is the guiding principle that keeps us from becoming rigid and cruel. Love is the foundation of all of our faithfulness. At least it should be. Love should be the foundation of our faith. But for a lot of Christianity, love has become a secondary aspect of faith. For too many Christians, rules and customs have preoccupied our attention and our, attention and our time. 
You know, I've had conversations with folks who consider themselves faithful Christians who brush off the need for compassion and service and love in the world saying, well, they just need to find their own faith. Or I've been baptized, I don't need to worry about that. And I remember even at our international gathering of the United Methodist Church, which is a gathering we call the General Conference, I remember hearing another pastor in the church, a colleague of mine, describing love as a secondary concern, using that word explicitly. Behind all of the creedal affirmations that we share and behind a uniformity among believers. Essentially, what he was saying that if you conform to my beliefs, then I can love you. The argument there is that love is conditional in the church. And therefore, if it's conditional in the church, it's also conditional with God. And if that's what Christianity is, I really don't want to have any part of it. Mostly because God's not part of that. And what's really frustrating is how many people have abandoned faith and the church and faith in God because as a people, we've limited the scope of God's love to a uniformed and legalistic idea of what Christian identity is. confusing because the desire for unquestioned uniformity is just not what the gospel describes. All four of the gospels confront that legalistic pocket in the community over and over and over again, offering a new perspective and a new understanding. And it starts in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel with Joseph. There were clear expectations for Joseph in this scenario. According to tradition and according to law, Joseph should have either stoned Mary or divorced her. But instead, he listens to a new voice beyond those laws, beckoning him towards a better definition of righteousness. And that new lens of righteousness for him was simply to love and care for Mary and the child that she was bearing into the world, and then to trust that God was still at work. And from that moment forward, Joseph is open to a new direction from God, even if those directions didn't come directly from written belief statements, rules, and customs. And then when Jesus grows up and becomes a man himself, he does the same. He came with the understanding that he was sent for the Hebrew people only, and yet in the gospel, he steps outside of that. He heals and calls Roman citizens a Samaritan woman and tax collectors who were considered initially to be outside of the covenantal community. And then after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Peter and Paul continue that work. In fact, if you read the book of Acts and his letters, Paul's whole ministry was an exercise in discovering how God appeared to him in unexpected places through unexpected people who were willing to devote themselves to a reality that existed beyond custom. They were willing to devote themselves to one another 
with a radical notion of love for neighbor and a radical love for God, which oftentimes put their own sense of well-being in jeopardy. They were willing to die, not for rules, not for laws, not for customs, not for temples, not for hierarchies. They were willing to die because of a profound sense of love for God and their neighbors. In fact, they loved God so much and their neighbors so much that they were willing to lay down their lives for their sake. And that's what made their faithfulness so unique in the world that they were growing up in. It wasn't a creedal statement. It was a way of life. And it was a life devoted entirely to God's presence, wherever that may lead, even if it confused long-held beliefs. And in many ways, that's why it's so important to celebrate Christmas each and every year. Because what's obvious is that when we're left to our own devices, we inevitably will create systems of rules and regulations and limit the scope of that love. So when it comes to Christmas, we come to the moment, the day when an angel speaks out to Joseph, asking him to put aside his rules in favor of choosing faithfulness to a mysterious path laying ahead of him as a loving spouse and a loving parent to a new child which he did not expect. And one of many miracles in this story is that Joseph was actually able to put aside his lifelong adherence to the law in order to walk a new path. Which, as it turns out, is our path. To choose the tradition of love that spans the whole scope of scriptures, even when that gets confusing, even when the way ahead seems unsure. We know that we can trust that God is ever before us, calling us towards a fuller and deeper experience of love. And so with Christmas, only three days, three days away, the question before us is simple. Are we willing to follow the Spirit, even if it calls us away from the customs and the rules and the habits that we've grown comfortable with? I hope so. In the name of a triune God who is only known to us and the unexpected birth of a child out of wedlock. Amen.